Hello and welcome back to Perspectives. Today's guest is Andrew Daish, a rugby player and coach having committed at club level all the way up to national level, including representing Sweden with 37 caps to his name. Andrew has played both union and sevens and supports athletes in extracting the most from their performance as a coach. In this episode, we discuss common misconceptions about training and performing at an elite level, the tools and techniques Andrew uses to perform at his optimal, what a max effort should really look like, the psychological aspect of elite performance, and much more. It is clear that Andrew is constantly looking for ways to improve from both a psychological and a physiological aspect, and his ability to test new methods to extract the most from his performance is really, really interesting. There is a lot of knowledge here. The guy is an absolute beast. So without further ado, Andrew Daish. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and your sporting career? Who is who is Andrew Daish? Oh, um, there we start with the the prince. I think really uh, Welsh father, Swedish based mother. Um, so I didn't really have a choice of what uh, sport I was going to play. Having a uh, Welsh father who played rugby for twenty eight years, I think he would remind me um, and tell me how it, how it was in his day. Uh, so yeah, started playing rugby at six, um, went to a boys' school, played rugby there, um, and then things started getting a bit more serious, uh, 16, 17, uh, signed for London Welsh, played for Wales under 18s, schools and youth, and then played for Wales under 19s, uh, picked up a pro contract through university, did that with London Welsh, and then moved up to Birmingham, played a few years there, pro, did my teacher training as well at the same time, so busy. Uh, father always pushed the sporting context mother always pushed the have a backup plan um, just in case especially in the world of rugby it's quite uh, brutal uh, contract wise and chasing things like that so um, and then played semi-pro unfortunately one day the professional dream got uh, got killed the club didn't have any money left so uh, went and got a real job teaching and then played semi-pro and then alongside that switched allegiance to the uh, well rug- well played or well known rugby nation of Sweden and played oh, 30 something 37 caps I think it is for Sweden's 15s and then played over 10 years of sevens for them as well as playing uh, invitational sevens uh, playing around the world as well so a uh, bit of a wide experience I've been to some of any different Eastern European countries with Sweden that you have never thought to go on holiday to so uh, yeah it's been an interesting one. Sounds like there's a few stories there for another day right? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely the likes of going to Moldova for a, a weekend is the one I'd recommend to <laughs> them. Uh, so you, I see you've tried to retire from rugby about three times at this point as well, but uh, you seem to keep getting drawn back into it. What? Yeah, I, I, I retired to retire. Uh, we had a great seat, seven years with old Albanians playing semi-pro in na- National 1. Um, we were some really good friends. Um, tried to retire then and then... Uh, my, Fairly, very good friend and coach uh, pulled me back in um, and then tried to retire again. He 
pulled me back in. Um, so yeah, keep, keep going in and sort of transferred. Now living in Sweden, transferred to the coaching side, um, really developing myself on the, the coaching element. Uh, but sometimes needs must uh, have to put the boots back on and strap up and go again. Although uh, pushing 38 now, it's like, uh, I think it's the bo- the body is definitely saying no, but the, the brain still thinks he's, I've still got it. So, um, but no, I, I, I don't know. It's always been in your DNA, isn't it? It's something I've loved, something I've done for 30 plus years now, all my life, basically. Um, it's all I really know. So uh, it's lovely to, yeah, it's great to be out there, the boys, but three, four days afterwards, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not fun. Let's put it that way. It takes, it takes, it takes a lot to get out of bed. Let's put it that way. Are you just still a walking callus at this point? Is that? <laughs> oh yeah. Just, just held together basically. But nah, it's, it's good. It's good fun. I love chucking it around, especially like to join in training with the boys. Um, especially on the, I've got the great opportunity to coach the assistant coach, of the men's national team now. So giving back to the team. So I love joining in with the boys and, and saying, uh, the old man still got it, but uh, definitely some of these young young lads have uh, still definitely got it more than I have. So yeah, I know a few people that played um, not to the level you played at, but they've broken near near enough every bone in their body. So uh, I can't imagine what these trees are like at your level as well. Oh yeah, I've got uh, titanium in one shoulder, Kevlar in the other shoulder. Um, been a nice wrist surgery, numerous. You know, the the list is fairly big, but. Um, you just keep going for, and that's where some of the, what well, we'll get into a bit later, but some of the stuff about doing it for the team uh, comes into it, of how I trained and how things change and the yeah, mental aspect of it already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so playing at that level, do you think there's any sort of common misconceptions that people have when it comes to like being at an elite level of sport? I think there's many misconceptions. I think uh, people from the outside definitely believe that you have the ability to be 100% every time um, I think they are obviously if they're, they're paid to watch you um, they obviously have a perspective that you are the best you will be the best you will give everything um, and I think that mindset drips into the team as well about giving everything um, obviously you do it for the, your team you do it for the, the the shirt the greater the higher power because that's what you it's instilled in you to, to give everything you've got um and sometimes giving everything you got is actually more than what you actually have. So the ability to keep going through pain, through not knowing where you are, the concussions, the injuries and things like that is actually uh, detrimental. But at the time, you obviously don't see that. You just see it's either win or lose, basically. I'll do this for the team. I've seen rugby is a bit of a, what has been known as a, a gentleman's sport is to coin a bit of an older, older fashioned term maybe not so relevant now but um, what what's it taught you other than the physical elements as well as I've heard it's it's quite a respectful game I'm not a huge um, rugby follower myself just because I did, didn't really get into it I was more down the football route when I was at school <laughs> but uh, I played two games at college and uh, never yeah. again <laughs> broke myself yeah it's definitely uh, it's definitely I've made friends all around the world and it's like friends that you can, you have got memories and stories with and you shared on-field battles with and as friends I played against who you're, you'd hate each other for 80 minutes but then it's like you're back to back to friends afterwards. Like you've got the pre-game chat, like catch up and then it's do you do the job, different shirt, different uh, 
obviously want to beat each other and then it's back to being friends again so it's definitely taught the the element of bond male bond you can have and the bond we have with each other that the respect i think as well comes with it that i will run into you as hard as i can and i know you will run in as to me as hard as you can but come the final whistle like that's done and dusted and now we move on straight away i think that's the nice thing about sport is it the, the the element of respect that you see in different um different sports being played rugby perhaps being the most prevalent in terms of being respectful for the referee and things like that uh do first oh, yeah. sir and more madam in, in the case yeah sir and madam and definitely there is a there is an element of that appealing that desire that football-esque if i could call it that like that crowding that opinionated stuff coming in but there is obviously you just want to win and you will do whatever you can to win and if you think something's unfair against you obviously you will appeal it or say something about it it's just i think it's a natural human instinct to unjust to fight your cause uh, i just think it's a bit it's becoming a bit more prevalent in rugby at the moment and i've definitely noticed last like this year as a coach i've had to try and change my um change my thinking on it like my me shouting out something isn't going to change the referee's opinion it's not going to change the decision so just have to have to work with the, the hand you're dealt with basically um and if something goes against you it goes against you there's nothing we can i can do on the pit on the side of the pitch now um so i'd say my mentality as a coach has definitely changed towards those sort of things yeah, i suppose it's quite an easy trap to get sort of fallen into really with your um opinions and stuff being on the sideline you see it with youngsters coming up and parents shouting at sidelines in different sports as well but you realize it doesn't as you said it doesn't make a difference if anything it can kind of go against and just annoy people at the end of the day doesn't it you don't want to do that, so. yeah your sport is emotion in the end it's uh highs and lows and things are going against you and for you and obviously everyone has an opinion but that's not going to change it's not going to change the person in the middle who's got the whistle and the controller of time and the law and enforcing the law so like it's it's not being emotionless it's just not using the emotions in the in the right way for me now yeah so so i've been following your account for a number of years um i think i got into it um, i think it might have been andrew tracy or something along those do you find yeah i worked with him yeah i coached, coached him a little bit for his uh one of his competitions uh, the rainy Hill trials so. yeah so um so i followed him for a number of years then saw your account through that it's going back a few years now and I've always been really interested in how you combine fitness and the mindset element and also your apprentice training. So I've had a couple of different people on all yeah. with very different approaches to how they trade with obviously different goals in mind, different specifics. In terms of your approach to training, you talk about using techniques like no data and nasal breathing and things like that. So can you just talk us through some of the approaches that you might use and, and how you came about using those approaches? Yeah, I think definitely the uh, the approach came from having that athletic mindset of 100% button is the only button you have. Um, you push it and you go and you go and you go until you can't either A, go any further or B, you're told to not go any further. And that comes from a sporting element of like the rugby nature of you just keep going, you just keep going. You might be dead on the bottom of, of the floor and you've still got time to go. And you've got to get up because your friend's going to get up for you, so... That's where the training element came from it really like it's uh i realized i couldn't keep training like that and it wasn't it wasn't training it was i was testing like i've been in an environment where 
you test like we have olympic testing and like uh because sevens is now an olympic sport so we obviously have support from the olympic committee and they want to know results they want to know how high how fast how quick how how you can do everything so then they can implement their training plan and test again but the problem i was having i was testing every day every day was a test every day i was pushing the limits how fast how much uh, how many could i do um and that came to testing twice a day because once a day wasn't good enough and it was like i kept testing and testing and testing and the problem with testing is what do you do when you test a new car safety you're designed to brake and i kept braking but then as soon as i could test again i would test again so it came to the point where i needed to change something and it was i was working with richard and julian when they were together at strong fit um we were discussing things and talking about testing and then this conversation of testing versus training came across of what is the difference because we train to test not test every day um, and that's what you see in this cross the crossfit world and that's sort of the element of crossfit is to push 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 but for the average person who might have a job family other demands testing isn't the best thing for someone and then you think put an athletic mind or an athlete mindset on it you are going to ramp it through the roof so actually the no data came away from uh taking away the aspect of a screen telling me how good i was because when it comes to rugby if i'm playing 15s i have i know the referee will start the game i know the referee will stop the game for half time start the game again after half time and, and full time and yeah i might have a scoreboard ticking away but is that scoreboard in time with the referee's watch um there's no other there's no other data i'm getting there and then in the game telling me how hard i'm working and so that sort of mindset of actually it's up to me how hard i want to work came across and that's how then i sort of transferred it to the no data taking away the screens on the on the machines for example taking away time and just working until i was good and that oh it took two to three years probably to really understand it because you always want to know you always want we live in this world where data is so available like if you take it back to when we were probably the first era of the internet coming around for households you'd have to and trying to get information you'd have to wait for the dial up to dial up you'd have to hope that your mum's not on the phone line or someone else is not calling you'd have to then wait for the page to load and you knew it's going to take ages to load and then you'd hope you find on the right page or the other one is like the library aspect you you want to find information out you'd have to walk to the library to get a library card hope the book's in read the book take the book back to get another book and we're such a used to training our data 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 feeding it in all the time we all have i'd love to know how many people have apple watches or garments and stuff like that and live and die by it but actually the I always use it the first i think it's 1977 the first polar heart rate monitor was ever invented like i, I think the first olympics was 1896 so there's a few more years before we actually had data in such a sporting context and such a available ready context for everyone so it was just a way i just took away the data to try and actually focus on me and focus on i am good enough i can work hard enough for me and if that was five minutes that's five minutes there's nothing wrong with working out for five minutes i could i could achieve a lot in five minutes if i really wanted to blast myself and end myself but sometimes um you just want to go and enjoy training i think I, I definitely lost the enjoyment for training 
uh, because it became a job. Yeah, I, I've I had one of those whoop straps for a while, and um, I love those. It's just, yeah, I, I tried it for just on the trial thing, and um, I yeah, really cool. Just the amount of metrics you can get from it. But then it came to a point where I was coming to renew it, and I was like, I don't I have all this data, and I don't really know what I'm doing with it. I don't really know how to use it. So I, I thought for me, it was a bit of a realization that yeah, it's cool to know what you're doing, but. You know, it's. It, I suppose it depends what level you're performing at and things like that. And then it becomes a game of sort of margins, really, when you're looking at just eking the most out of your performance when you start getting to the, you know, the elite level stuff. But for the average layperson, like myself, it's it's you know it's almost a bit too much data. And I had this conversation with someone else as well. Actually. Yeah, no, Sorry, it is the, like, I get the whoop. I understand yeah. what it is. But let's just say you wake up and your whoop band says you're red. You can't train. I don't know. I don't no but let's just say it's, a, it's telling you not to train but you've woken up and you've got the mindset of I want to work today what are you going to believe yourself the person that you are in tune with and you know your body and if your body's feeling great or this very I don't know how they what algorithm I would assume it's one algorithm for the whole of the whoop users or unless it's learning from you and it's telling you you shouldn't train you shouldn't do anything today well what are you going to believe and this is the issue like I have with this sort of uh, information is that what is true? What what are you going to believe? You as a, yourself, we've lost this human aspect. We've lost this human feeling. I, I know when I'm good to train. I know when I'm not good to train. I know I wake up and I'm thinking, yeah, I probably should. Well, I'm not really in the mood to go do this element of training. I've, I've, but I fancy doing this instead. Like we've lost uh we've lost the human touch to want to train for ourselves and and what if you wake up in the opposite way you are feel like you are beaten up and you just don't want to do anything but that whoop band telling you green let's go 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 and you're like well surely i'm just gonna hit a double net like i'm just gonna hit a wall then because it's telling me what do i believe what do i believe and now we've got this mental aspect coming into it we're arguing Am I arguing with a whoop band or I'm arguing with my head? Which one's the right one? And for like you said, for the everyday person who is sold on the the whoop band or the whatever algorithm, what is the date? What does what does HRV mean to you? Like, what does? Are you sure this sleep has tracked you properly? Like, are you this? Like, why we've lost this human touch to go? I'm tired. Like, it's good. I can have a day off. It's good. I'm like life goes on. Why not go do something else? Why not go and do something else enjoyable? Get out, be be human, go and move instead of having to smash myself in the gym because my whoop band says I'm green when I actually feel like, no, nah, I'm not good today. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, we were talking, I was talking with the triathlete I was mentioning earlier about RPE, the RPE scale, yeah. and we were talking about the use of data as well, actually in reference to some of the work you were doing previously. And... So I, I explained how you use it and how you use it just based on your time you've got in the match and things like that, no scoreboard. And she was saying that's very true. Even when she's training or when she's running or doing whatever part of her triathlon she's at, at a particular stage of the race, she said she may check it like maybe once a kilometre. But she also says she does a lot of lot of sessions based off her RPE as well. So she does use the data in terms of the zone training and things like that. But there's also times where that RPE scale where you, only you can tell how you feel on the day. And if there's days where she's meant to be doing a session where it's go a bit harder and she doesn't 
she just doesn't feel recovered enough. She says she's got the ability to just take a step back. Now, actually, if I push hard, I am going to increase the chance of injuring myself at this point. So probably about having an awareness of yourself and being a bit more in tune rather than just relying on an abundance of information. Because there is just so much data out there now. There's so much information. There's so many studies, so many bad studies, which is another aspect to worry about as well where you just have so much information thrown at you social media there's loads of information thrown at you you've got so-called experts who have got the best method for you and it's just yeah it's just sometimes too much it's just easier to switch off isn't it yeah like i like the rpe but you need to expose someone to what a 10 is yeah subjective like a, a, a it's subjective like a my rpe 10 could be very different to someone else's rpe 10 because i have the ability to or physically and mentally withstand more, if that makes sense, compared to someone, uh, I don't know, a 50-year-old guy who's getting back into training. Like, So you have to you have to expose someone to truly show them what RPE10 is because well, I sometimes use the board scale going up to 20 because it's a little bit more, a bit more freedom within it as well. But like... Put you on some Wingate into repeated Wingate intervals, so thirty seconds with max out power output with seven and a half percent of your body weight dropped on it, and how you can go. Right, oh, repeated ones. Yeah, the first one's probably like eighteen out of twenty. Number two is definitely twenty out of twenty, and if it was possible, number three is probably twenty-two out of twenty. But but that's true. Like, if it's not taking you four hours to recover from at maximal 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 effort or plus then that's a true test if you can do say you do oh i hit rpe 10 we'll go back to rpe but if you say oh, i can do rpe 10 and then you're up 30 minutes later you're like oh let's go again no that, you cheated yourself and that's the honesty and the truthfulness you need with yourself right and that's where it comes down to we lost we have some people might not might disagree with this and say no but we live in a scientific world yeah we live in a scientific world but we've lost the human element to understanding myself and understanding what i am and who i am and what i can achieve and this muscle doesn't work and this hurts and this doesn't hurt and then the whole mentality of quitting actually like we're fearing we fear failure but actually we're happy to quit like I'd much rather fail and learn from it. Your failure is a learning lesson. So, but we've lost all of that because we just rely on a on an algorithm or something else to tell me how I should feel and some fancy data chart, which the majority of people don't actually understand what it is. They just think, "Oh, look, it looks pretty," but what does it mean? Uh, that we've lost the meaning of training now. I think. Yeah, I think that you touched on fear as well. I think that's probably the one of the main reasons why people don't don't go to RP ten as well. It's just because it's a it's an unknown really, isn't it? It's and it yeah, hurts. I can push myself until it hurts, but there's also it's like a level beyond working hard, isn't it? Where yeah. I, I can comfortably say I've never been to an RP ten. I don't think I've ever I've been like working hard and uh, you know, tasting that sort of like you're sucking on a battery, tasting blood yeah. as you're like getting to that level. But I don't know, I'd say that's with the closest I've got to an RPE 10. No, right. again, so how do you measure it, I suppose? Yeah, but how do you measure it? Like if, if there is an, I would probably say the best way to measure it, yeah, obviously you've got that iron blood taste in your mouth. That's a, that's a, a indicator we're getting very close to it. But if I, I think the easiest thing is if, if I was to either offer you 
billions and billions of pounds or hold a gun to your head and say, do that again, and you said no, I'd say that's probably very close to RPE 10. Well, probably is RPE 10. But the fact that people say, oh, I pushed really hard, I went to do my limit, and then you jump on and do another thing, like, welcome to World CrossFit, oh, I pushed really hard, and then went to another another thing. It's like, no, you didn't. You don't understand. And that might be controversial, people might not like what I'm saying, but I think it's probably pretty real and honest what I'm saying. Uh, I think people maybe find what I say is controversial in this sort of aspect of training because it's maybe truthful that you don't understand. Yeah, I've, got, I've got a few CrossFit fans on here, so we're just oh, trying, more to, than trying to kill off half my uh, audience. I'm trying to kill off half <laughs> more than happy to discuss uh, how to send you to RBE10 if you like to. Yeah. To be fair, I, I know a few people listening and probably would be interested in that, to be fair. So, um, yeah. more, than, more than happy to expose the, the world of actual hurt because I've done fitness testing where I've got to the point of passing out. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, don't give me a medal. I don't need, like, it's not glorifying the passing out element or pushing yourself to the actual limit. But sometimes when there's 12 shirts in a sevens team available and there's 16 of you fighting for shirts, you do what you have to in testing to make sure that that you have the best scores. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be done every day, and I've learned the very hard lesson, and it's nearly destroyed me in parts that going there every day is not healthy. And so I'm not advocating that you go and go and kill yourself every day, but what I'm saying that sometimes it's nice to, you should have a little test once every week, once every two weeks. Go and see where you're at. Go and test yourself. Go and feel what the actual hit, and then go back to training. Then go back to that 70, 80% work, that technique work, that area of weakness you need to improve on. But then sometimes open it up and enjoy it. Like embrace the RPE 10 because yes, it hurts at the time, but afterwards it's still hurting. But like there's that element of, yeah, I've got it. And that's what we miss now. We miss that pride of, yeah, I can go there. I can push that. I can do that. And actually, is that's the reward? It's the investment and reward of 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 training, of improvement. Like you, inv people invest all this time, but we never we ne are never happy with the reward. You always want to. You see it all the time on social media. Like there's never that embracing of the reward. Like yeah, I won. Look at Jack, Jack Grealish. How much did he love the reward after all that time of investment of the Champions League? Uh, I think he was on the beers for three days, four days. Yeah. But like that, that's enjoying the reward. I'm not saying you have to go on the beers for four days after doing a minute Max Cow and Assault White, but I'm saying like invest, like em embrace the reward. Be happy, be proud of yourself, like love yourself for the reward because you're the one who's invested in the, in the time into it. Yeah, definitely. I think CrossFit, I mean, going back to the CrossFit element, I think there is. You know, my, my other half does CrossFit and she's just come on leaps and bounds in terms of her fitness level. So I think there's merits to using it. Again, it depends what your goal is, I suppose, in terms of general fitness or you've got something specific you're working towards. So would you say even if you're just looking to push the limit every so often, that testing element comes in, but if you're quite happy just, you know, going in and enjoying the workouts and carrying on, then that testing element's probably not something you need to do. Yeah, for sure. I'm not. I'm not shunning CrossFit at all. Like I've done CrossFit quite a few times. I've been around, done it. I've done my qualifications, etc. To coach and things like that. I'm not shunning. I think it's an amazing what it's done to 
introducing fitness to the world because it has got millions of people touching equipment, moving better, wanting to improve. And that's a, it's been an amazing thing for it. Um, yes, it has its downsides. Like you can open a gym after a two-day training course. Like my years of studying and background and investment, obviously that's the one side of it. But no, for the everyday person who just wants to go and get sweaty, get fit, just look after their lifestyle so that they're older, when their older self needs to get off the floor or pick up the grandkids or um, stops to try and stop themselves falling over and things like that. And of course, like go and enjoy it, go and embrace the community, embrace the events, do the things. But there has to be a, a realization that that's what you're there for. And if you're happy with that, you're happy with that. But the thing with CrossFit for me is that some people take it too far. They, they don these shirts that say athlete on them for me you're an athlete is someone who's paid to do to do what they do i was a, a, an athlete i was paid to play rugby that was my job these people are paying to do fitness so i'm paying to enter this comp to get a t-shirt that says athlete on me so therefore i'm now the same level as matt fraser for example where you're not that's the thing and be people have now don the approach that i am matt fraser who paid to train, he trained twice, three times a day, he recovered, he, that's all he did, it was 100% his job, but yet you've got to go, you've got hours of training, let's say you train in the morning, uh, you don't hit the lift that you should hit, you don't hit the 82.5% that you should do that day because you've had a rubbish sleep, you had stress from the day before, and now you're even more stressed, and now we've gone from, I couldn't even get close to my 82.5% that day, and now I've got to go to work and now I'm, work, now I'm late to work because I was trying to push the limit. And now, and then we have this abundance of just stress rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling over and over and over. And it's going to get to another breaking point. So now physically I'm breaking because I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready to go. Now mentally I'm breaking because I'm not getting what I want from my training. And then I'm going to go and do a local comp for two days. And the amount of people I see who go, it's the classic, do the open on a Friday. I need to redo it on the Monday. It's just like, well, you go and do a comp on a Saturday, Sunday, and then you're going back to training on a Monday. Like, you wouldn't see Matt Fraser after the CrossFit Games go back to training the day after. So, and he's that's his job. And you, then you throw everything else on top. It's just a crushing aspect. I love what CrossFit did for getting people, but people got to realize that they are them and not aspire. Obviously, everyone has role models. We can't aspire to be the role model. Be, take maybe use elements of that but you've got to be your human self yeah okay so someone who's no. wanting to perhaps do this testing element you referred to before what would a good yeah. session be just to really push limit and see where you're at ah uh, you could easily just a simple one jump on the assault bike and one minute max calories just simple six seconds go as hard as you can 60 seconds no pacing like it's not a pacing event we're not saving it to the end like you go out the gun, you don't see Usain Bolt pacing the first twenty meters. Which <laughs> is this is another thing I said to someone like, "Oh, what should I do for testing?" I was like, "It's all white. One minute, let's go." Like, well, what pace should I start at? Well, maximum. Well, what's maximum? Well, I don't know. You tell me what maximum. My maximum could be over a hundred RPM for the first eight seconds. Like, I can give you my numbers. It's irrelevant to you. 
I've got different fitness ability. I've got different strength ability. I've got different power ability. My, I can last longer in ATP PCs. Like we can go into it, all the depths of the science if you want. But actually your one minute is very different to my one minute. All I'm going to say is your one minute, if you're not falling off the bike at 62 seconds or finding a bucket to spew in, then you haven't found maximum. Like there's so many, I've got so many like different versions of it to go, but your one minute should be brutal. 500 meter row for time. Like disgusting. If you, if that row is, if you are not having someone unstrap your feet, then like you're not working. 400 meter run. All of those around 60 seconds to 90 seconds, two minute max work. Uh, like a, a friend of mine once gave me one called the Dirty 30. So 30 calories on the bike, 30 calories on the rower, 30 burpees. Right. Under five minutes. They sound, so that's the thing with these workouts. They always sound, I mean, those ones sound brutal, but like sometimes yeah. I see different like circuit workouts and ones where you just go, oh, it's only 30 seconds, only 30 seconds. Oh, it's quite short, but then you they look okay on paper, but then you come to actually do them and they're just horrible just yeah yeah the best way to describe it is it let's just say you didn't see the clock and we're doing say let's just say we're doing 60 seconds of the top back up just because i love it and you didn't see the clock and someone said to you 30 seconds left if your heart doesn't sink and your brain doesn't go expletive 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 that was only 30 seconds then we're yeah. then we're in the right place like I don't want to know. I don't want to look at that screen. I just, I just want to, someone to tell me. I just want to hear that machine go beep and tell me when sixty seconds is over. I don't, if you tell me thirty seconds left, I'm, I'm just crying. Probably, definitely crying inside. Probably, yeah. going to start yeah, crying on the outside. That's horrible well. when you've, when you've really put it in, then it's like, oh, still got thirty seconds. Yeah. Oh, we're doing it on rounds. Oh, we're halfway there. Halfway there. Yeah. But that's the that's like that's when you know you're in there because that's when you know, even on like a let's just say you're you're just training, and you can push train training still. Don't get me wrong, you can push, but it's my sort of thing of pushing training is that uh, let's say I finish, and within one minute I can get up or two minutes get up, walk around, and like recover, and actually have the mental clarity to go that was good, I enjoyed that. Or actually, I need to. That was okay. Um, wasn't there today, and have that honest conversation with yourself. Then, my that's what, how I would judge my training. That's how I would like. Is that having that self check in straight away as soon as we finish training? But there's times when you're like having mental conversations with yourself. Like I worked with uh, Bill Anthes up between the years for two years, just because every coach needs a coach. Um, and there were sessions he would give me like push a sled for an hour like you have some conversations with yourself there of like with literally a stopwatch and I didn't look at it going off after 60 minutes and it's like that was worse than 60 seconds on the assault bike because I'm in my head thinking so there's so many variations that you can have with training of check-ins of testing it doesn't have to be 60 seconds on the assault bike you can test your mental resilience or your actual true physical capability of how long can I go have you heard of the 12 hour walk I haven't heard of the 12 hour walk he's 
a chap who crossed the Antarctic um, on his own. Okay. And, yeah. And he was basically competing against this, I think he's an American chap. I believe his name's Ben, ben Collins, I think. Ben. I forgot that wrong. But um, yeah, he's coined this thing called the 12 hour walk. And he was basically competing against this uh, other special forces guy, um, both doing the same thing, trying to become the right. first person to do it. So this was carrying all your kit with you. So I think he was pulling a sled, no assistance for the duration of it. And yeah. they were kind of neck and neck, one edging, and they could literally see each other, like one edging in front of the other. And he said there was one day he was like, right, I just got to get in front of this guy. So I'm just going to get my head down and go. Um, and it ended up being like 12 hours and he built up quite a good gap. And eventually he went on to become the first man to do it. But he, off the back of that, he said he learned so much in that time that he's sort of coined this thing called the 12 hour walk and it's basically you switch off everything you do you take your phone for like emergency reasons but there's an app yeah. he's built where you it kind of limits contact so you don't have any music you don't have anything else you just literally take yourself for a walk for 12 hours you you can go around the block and sit down for six hours and do as much as you can yeah. but the whole purpose is just go go out for 12 hours distraction free and just basically see what happens just see where your mind goes and uh he said he does that like once a year maybe and it really kind of when he's getting a bit flustered or things are kind of running away from him and he he, he needs a bit of grounding he kind of goes back to this 12-hour walk where he just goes out with nothing and then just comes back and everything kind of settled in his brain he's worked some stuff out but you don't have all the distractions of, oh, shit, I need to look at my phone or one needs to listen to music to be able to get through. I imagine it's pretty tough. I haven't done it yet, but it's something I want to do. No, it's not something I'd put on my trading calendar regularly. But um, no, but like uh, working with Bill, we've sort of looked at this whole distraction thing and things like that. So, for example, just wearing um, like the, you know, like ear defender plugs, putting them into your session. And actually, we talked about the, the noise of the breath is the noise of the world. But actually hearing your heartbeat so i'd jump on the assault bike and i'll do some intervals or i'll do any sort of type of training and once you get like rid of that noise of the breath and everything you just feel your heart pumping for you you feel you hear it in your ears and it's just like that actually it, you come alive from listening to your heart and that self-love and it gives you clarity to why you're working um it shows that your your work and your heart is working for you um, I think there's so much like I learned from him. He's an amazing guy. Like I learned so much from him about taking the the like I can train actually the reasoning behind it and getting into the real depths of psychology and the love and the care for yourself through training. Like the whole um the whole soulfulness of it and the whole like just giving yourself that love and it was amazing like we do training with just with a mask on. You think you can shut your eyes, put a blackout mask on. Like an hour of an hour on that we didn't. I was I went and visited him in America and we did an hour of um, sprints on the uh, echo bike. No music, just a blackout mask on. You have an hour to work as hard as you want, sprint as many times as you want, recover as many times as you want, as long as you want, and you can't see anything. Like the the. The depths you go to, the thought process. I went to some deep and dark places there, of actually realizing 
how much you have to do on your own to improve yourself like you can ask for as much help as you want but if you're not prepared to do the work yourself then um you're not going to get anywhere so i i learned a lot from him and i use it and i, I think it's taking my training to a whole new level of understanding me because i would just train 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 and there was no thought process in there was no feeling in it, it was, the feeling was did i destroy myself not the feeling of i've loved i love myself or i've worked hard for myself or i've improved today or i haven't improved but i know where i need to improve that whole actual real depth of thought to it all um training is there and i still use the earbuds um the mask is something i'm a little bit still tentative scared of it brought on a lot of uh anxiety um a lot of uh awareness of not being feeling safe um i think safety not you you have to expose yourself to an unsafe environment to obviously improve and that's testing testing is an unsafe environment because there you don't know where you're going to go you know it's going to hurt but actually losing this one of your senses is quite unnerving so um but no i have the mask i sometimes i feel like i want to use it but i use the earplugs quite a lot i quite enjoy the no music feeling myself especially for long cardio efforts at the moment i'm just spending a bit more time rebuilding the body and my training at the moment is a bit more kettlebell based a bit more range of motion strengthening different planes instead of just being linearly strong and then some long capacity work of just moving and sweating and just focusing using some nasal breathing just to control my efforts and to make sure that i'm just working to a nice level um but the earplugs yeah taking away the sound is quite a nice one do that for some running as well yeah. i've um i've heard about uh listening to like different types of music as well so i'll, I'll get onto the you mentioned nasal breathing so i'll get onto the breath of thing in a second yeah, yeah. but the uh i saw i think it might have been the maybe the mindful mover so i had a guest on the previous episode called the mindful mover and they've come from like the movement culture background so like training yeah. silly out i think he said he was doing like eight to ten hours a day of training like be it like movement be it dancing whatever yeah. and um there would i know you've talked on this with the strong fit guys about um that fight or flight response and getting into the sort of stress element so yeah most people heavy lifting session heavy rock heavy metal whatever some sort of heavy baseline something to get you kind of jacked up but i saw the reverse of it as well where people have been using um classical music so try not to get too jacked up but controlling your lifts and things like that which i thought was quite interesting i don't know if there's any science or merit behind it but i just thought it was quite an interesting point no i, I find that quite interesting like uh um i did a like listen to i don't know how you describe it but i just know the like um it is house music but it's like very like chilled house music long yeah. sort of seven eight minutes like lounge sort of yeah, lounge sort of style. And I think that's just an, an, a nice flow for me. Sometimes, yeah, you want to ramp it up to 180 BPM and have your ears bleeding. And that's cool. Like you do whatever you like, you do whatever you do. I've had, yeah, I've listened to some classical music. I've listened to podcasts when they do long stuff. I've listened to you name it, everything else um, as, as you go. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, music can affect mood and the music can have the, the beat, the feeling. Um, but no, like, yeah, 
yeah, everyone. I've seen about classical music. I haven't tried classical music. It's not really my thing, but I'm, I'm up for it. Uh, my training is uh, I'm up for anything and trying anything. So maybe something a bit yeah. about what? So maybe not even classical, just something just a bit more relaxing. Yeah, like soul, chilled, like soulful style stuff and yeah. things like that. Yeah, like a, a Deezer is quite a, like a chilled house band. Um, mm-hmm. Rufus to Soul was I was introduced to. By yeah, Bill. Um, we did an hour of burpees listening to Rufus to Soul's new album. Um, I only looked at the clock with two minutes left to go, which was quite was quite interesting. Nice. Yeah, I like this one. Active Child's quite good. Yeah, yeah. I used to uh, I used to do like a handstand course and she was used to have that. It seems really weird to talk about it now, but like handstands have really exploded in popularity with the whole CrossFit stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was when I was at uni that was a it was literally a course. It was like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to go on that one. So learn how to handstand it's quite a good party trick to, to whip out every now and again I'm sure yeah <laughs> you go too deep and you're upside down it could oh yeah I've, I've gone flat on my back before <laughs> yeah I was going to say um, so breath work talk to me about breath work you talked about nasal breathing how are you using that in your training and why yeah so obviously like uh, there's nasal breathing and the breath work whole element has really kicked off like there's so many people doing so many variations and obviously there is a physiological benefit to it and stuff i mainly used it as a limitation a limiter towards my training because there's only so much breathing in your nose you can do before you naturally want to gasp for more air through your mouth it wasn't a physiological thing i didn't really understand the physiological thing i just used it as a as a limiter basically to to my training to in in like in terms with using it with the no data work and i just became pretty good at it I don't, I don't, uh, uh, there's many experts out there who will tell you about the hemoglobin count and the oxygen amount. And there's obviously lots of, lots of books on it and things like that. And there's obviously loads of people doing breath work now. So I'm not here to dive into the physiology of it, but I just used it as a limiter. I used it as an ability to control myself because you can open your mouth and you can go there, but actually there's only so much you can breathe in your nose before you might, you get that, this headache up here your brain feels like it might explode your nose is on fire so just use it as different elements of style of training just to change intensity really like to a limiter of intensity is how i used it really and then i would use nose in nose nasal inhale mouth exhale shongvit used it as like a, a movement limiter as well i used it more of an intensity limiter so there's obviously loads to use towards and i think it's great to play with it's great to just to see how it is some people sleep with tape on their mouth which is not really my thing i've seen for example when i work with andrew i've seen him use it as well and he does a lot of it like holding water in your mouth as well as a feedback i'd call it to actually when you want to spit it out is actually maybe your limit of where you are nasal breathing as well I'd probably recommend doing that either outside or with a bucket. <laughs> I'm not sure your gym owner would be too appreciative of you spitting water. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. No, it was just it was just a, a limited sort of thing. Um, there's obviously lots of physiology on it. There's lots of papers on it now. There's lots of people talking about it. You, I see it a lot on on Instagram and social medias of people doing this and stuff like that. Yeah, and it, it's also there. Obviously, there is a nervous system element to it that fight and flight like taking yourself to the ability to fight with it before you want to run away from it before you go for that because obviously julian talked about a lot of strong fit like you could happily be walking along 
in the woods and then you see a bear straight away you go to that panic mode that flight mode and you start breathing in your mouth and that you are aren't present so I use it as a like an internal presence metric as well to try and like am i breathing am i not when do i want to go to my mouth do i need to just back it off a little bit and it's like that just keeping that presence as we as i train so that's what i use really used it as you know i've, I've used it before based on what i've seen from you I've tried to do it a few times that like on the rower or like a longer salt bike session this is going back yeah. a few years now anyways but the feeling i got was very different i kind of felt a bit more calm if that makes sense coming off the bike yeah. or it's, it's almost like i suppose it's that's the limitation element where and i've done it on runs before as well where running especially it's easy to get carried away and i think it's very difficult to run slowly i think that's Whereas we're using breathing through your nose, you, you actually have to force you to run slowly rather than yeah up. yeah same as swimming I suppose well, yeah swimming might be a bit of a interesting one going underwater breathing yeah uh, <laughs> breathing underwater yeah I wouldn't try that <laughs> um, yeah I'd say running is a running is an interesting one because it is actually uh, some days I was I was going to go out for a sixty minute run but that turned into running ten k in forty nine minutes. Like I was going for an easy run and then something just happens and you're like, oh, well, I'm 5K in, I might as well just carry on sort of mentality. But no, I th- I'd say it's a limiter of that pace. Like it allows you to train. It definitely stops you testing. There's no way you could test nasal breathing and do 60 seconds on this old bike. Like you, you, you just, you're not working. It's a, it's a, it's a training limiter. I'd, call it. I'd say it's going to stop you falling off the training cliff and into the testing water. Um, so yeah, and that is it is a calming experience. It is the fact of like you can be. I did sixty minutes on the assault bike the other day, just pure nasal breathing. Like I was sweating. Like it, I worked. I I had the screen covered as well, and still banged out seven hundred calories in the hour, sort of thing. Nasal breathing. Whilst and I, but I think is I got off, sprayed and cleaned the assault bike, and then put it back and went for a shower like i've worked for 60 minutes like it's that whole element of you can train and you can train hard but you can get off and carry on with life because in the end if it's not your job you got you got other aspects of your life or other stresses in your life and i think that's where nasal breathing has really been a really big um bonus for me and i know it's helped i've talked to a lot of people about it actually how it bonus it's helped their life it's helped their ability to to be present and you can you, you can mix your breathing up as well i have a, a, a great session like i talked about it with bill the sprints with um you have a set period of time let's just say 30 minutes you have a set period of t- 30 minutes on the clock you're going to get as many hard maximal effort sprints in in that time you define hard you define maximal there's no i'm not going to tell you what hard and maximal is you that's your definition this is another training thing i like to use it's like you define what your hard and maximal is that day it doesn't matter what it is. As long as you can look at yourself in the mirror, and this is what I say to people, as long as you can say to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I worked and I'm proud, then that's good enough. That's all I like all you need to do. So 30 minutes on the clock, as many sprints or uh, I always just use the assault bike because I particularly love it. As many efforts as you can do, but when you're doing your recovery, you have to be nasal breathing. You have to be nasal breathing. And I like to use the fact that my recovery efforts will be i'll take my feet and hands off the bike then i'll put my feet on just to keep it ticking over but as soon as my hands 
touch that handle, the handles, that's my that's when I'm ready to go. And there'll be times when I get like twitchy hand, I'm like, am I ready? Am I ready? But then I'll go as hard as I can on that effort. And it's that sort of I have these um training, I don't know how you'd describe it, like performance metrics to say when I'm ready to go. It's like the first two sprints could have maybe 30 seconds between. The last two sprints I do could have four minutes between. But as soon as that hand goes on, my hands go on the handles of that salt bike, I'm going. And I'm going until my standard drops. And my performance standard is until I feel I cannot give maximal. Like my perform that level might be very different to yours. And that's cool. Like we are still working at our, our maximal. I'm not, we're not working against each other. We're not competing against each other. We could be side by side, but your training, you could be in a great place that day and want to go super hard and you're smashing them out and like motivating yourself and you're in the zone and you're loving it. I could just be doing, I could do two in 30 minutes and still, we could still walk away with the same feeling of, yeah, I, I got what I wanted from today. So, yeah. That is, that's interesting, to be fair. I think the, the sprint duration one's important as well, because sometimes I think 30 seconds and working at a max, you may be good at a max for like 10, 15 seconds, then it drops right off, and then the final five seconds is just like, oh, cycling through porridge effect. Yeah, no, with we're going, you're suffering then. You're now punishing yourself. Like, if your sprint is 15 seconds, your sprint's 15 seconds. That, be honest with yourself. That's my sprint today. It's not... My sprint isn't 30 seconds. That's 15 seconds of me working and 15 seconds of me suffering. You're not here to suffer. If like another example I have was did a seminar for uh for Strongfit and this guy was like, I need to run 10k. But I don't want to. I was like, Well, why do you do it then? He goes, I do it for CrossFit comp. I was like, okay. So when was the last time it was in a CrossFit comp to run 10k? Well, it hasn't been. I was like, okay. And have you signed up for another CrossFit competition? No. So I was like, okay, so you got to run 10K. You don't do it for any reason. And it suff- and you're suffering for an hour. I was like, okay. So you're suffering for an hour. And he's like, yeah, I'm su- it hurts for an hour. I was like, perfect. I'm going to punch you in the face for an hour. That's suffering. You're going to suffer for an hour with me punching you in the face for an hour. Same outcome. It's going to hurt. And he was like, uh, by, this was in front of 30 people as well. So I'm not sure he like, took it too well. And it came down to the fact he had spent 500 euros on a Garmin watch and he had to justify to himself that the reason he had the watch was he was getting money for value, value for money, sorry, for the watch. Didn't, didn't enjoy it. Well, why would you do something you don't enjoy? Why would you wake up aching and sore and like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, yet you take your sorry ass to the gym and you suffer through an hour of some coach screaming at you telling you to work harder, faster, keep working, keep working in your face, and then you walk away and you hate hate the gym even more. We are not designed to suffer. We're designed to keep working and enjoy it. Like if, so, yeah. I don't know if he ran another 10K after that, after I said I'd punch him in the face for an hour. <laughs> You're follow, following along behind it. Uh, I'm more than happy for him to sit there. I'll do it. It's fine. But, um, whatever you, want. you need one of those, those extendable boxing gloves. So you just... <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to run 10K punch in the face at the same time. Like, it's not effort. But it just shows that we we do it for such external things like, like the Instagram bonus round. How many times do people actually 
show their true failings on Instagram or their true rounds or this this amazing five rounds plus one because I've got to film a round for the Instagram reel. Like, just train and train. Just train for you. Like, we don't, I don't, it's external gratification. Hence the watch, hence the whoop band, hence the likes on Instagram, hence the people saying, well done. Like, where's the internal gratification of like, yeah, I worked hard for myself today and I enjoyed it. I got the most out of, to, out of my session. Yeah, hundred percent. I've seen some of your posts as well. Uh, I remember asking you once, "What was it like the objective of your session?" And I was like, "Time, calories," and you, your response was connection. That was what you were looking for in a particular session. Yeah. So, yeah. talk to me a bit more about what that means. It just means I'm connecting with myself, like I'm checking in with myself reps calories time doesn't really mean anything to myself like it's that going till i'm good we did a lot of work with bill on this like going till i'm good because i can keep, i'll go and i'll keep going and i'll keep going but i will suffer but actually like if i'm good after 30 minutes i'm good and actually that connection with you that checking in with yourself that understanding yourself of where you are in that moment in time actually allows you to be the better better version of you for yourself and for people around you in your in your in your circle like you want to be the best i want to be the best version of me for my two little ones because they get the best version of me and that's if i'm the best version of me for me then they're going to get the best version of me for them so it's a case of that connection and sometimes yeah i might just say my right, people like i get messages people saying oh what are you doing what was it it's like because it'll it was for me and people sometimes are like uh but what did you do and i know it but please see previous message like i'm quite blunt with it yeah why well, what i'm doing what i'm doing is relevant it's just it's relevant for me irrelevant in the ground of yeah in the ground yeah. scheme of things it's irrelevant to you but relevant for what yeah. i'm trying to do yeah so i just train i train for me i train to be the best version of me and that's why this whole like deep dive into the psychological side of it all and actually just like sometimes I don't really care about reps sets sometimes I just want to flow sometimes I, like I'm enjoying this kettlebell stuff I'm doing at the moment like I've never really used them and actually learning and it's challenging because I know how to push I know how to end my life but actually I'm learning a new skill of I never knew how hard a kettlebell windmill was like I have got the mobility of a piece of wood in that rotational thing from just so much sport and it's like well there's something i need to learn on like and i'm enjoying it like i wake up going i want to go and do something more like i did a session yesterday i literally used two 12 kilo kettlebells for the whole session and i'm feeling achy i'm feeling like oh that muscle's working that's not working and actually i came away super like learning it was an experience it was a lesson i taught myself a lesson actually it worked i worked hard in a different way so you can work hard doesn't mean you have to go pedal to the middle for the whole hour yeah you're i noticed you're quite open about the whole um mindset stuff as well sort of the connection element the digging deep and going to the places and pushing yourself to see where you kind of end up you mentioned the mask training and stuff which sounds horrific by the way <laughs> i don't think i'll be going out and buying a blackout mask anytime soon i feel like mental health's really been 
pushed into the forefront quite recently. There's especially in corporate places as well. There's a lot of this whole sort of mental first aid training, and sometimes it feels like a bit of a tick box exercise when it comes to sort of corporate stuff. And then you've also got the other side of it, which is like the social media influencers who are sort of being raw and authentic. Where they, you know, there was quite a funny uh, clip I saw on Instagram yeah. actually of someone they were they were taking the piss out of it basically, and just they'd set up set up a tripod and who were like, oh, this is me, my something happened or whatever, and then they hit record and then pretend cry and then like stop yeah. and they're like checking to see if they got the right clip and yeah. So it's obviously you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, social media stuff as well. But have you seen, especially maybe in your surroundings and and part of the game rugby, for example, have you seen like a beneficial sort of shift towards an attitude towards the mental health sort of aspect and being a bit more open and honest about that sort of stuff? Yeah, for sure. I think we live in a world now where, for example, I think suicide is one of the biggest killers of young men. And I think that, like I say to my players, like, I don't care that you have to put on an attitude and a front. Like, if you aren't there if life is tough right come and talk i'm very open about like talking um because i wasn't open about talking for many many years for my own reasons and like there's young men out there who are alone who fear this judgment of not being able to talk and it's scary it's scary because you have to be this macho man and there, yeah sometimes you've got to Sometimes you have to be that person. Sometimes, like for example, in the gym, there's that one rep max day and you want to go and display your biggest, highest amount of testosterone, your true strength, your caveman ability, your macho, whatever you want to call it. But there's times when it's like deep and dark and you just want to talk about something or you're not feeling yourself or you're not feeling like you want to feel. And I think it's important, especially in the world of rugby where you have to put this macho side on you're going to this basically glorified sport warfare you're going into battle i think i think there's a lot a lot gone a lot, there's a lot of time that actually people need to realize that the instagram the social media mental health stuff isn't where it should be like you said about that taking the mick out of that person pretending it's just like i think if you are really struggling like you're not the only one and I know people say that all the time but you're not the only one like you think you're the only one trust me like I've thought that process like I'm the only one struggling um I can't show emotion it's it's not the right place to show emotion I shouldn't I'm a man I shouldn't show emotion yet like when you do show emotion it actually shows you really who is there for you and who is who wants to be there for you and I think we should continue to promote it and advocate talking I think i sometimes talk a lot and I will just spill it all out and like when you actually just get it all out it's the relievement that the the weight it feels off your shoulders is incredible it's the highest of highs like I probably could have of being able to just go blah this is how I feel get it all out there and actually like I need sometimes you just need someone to listen this is a big thing I'm focusing at the moment it's like I just listen to people I'm not going to tell you my story. I'm not going to tell you you should feel like this. I'm actively just listening to how you feel. Um, there's loads, so much stuff I look read about now about active listening and understanding and working with people. Um, just listening. Just listen. Just the person doesn't want an opinion. I didn't want opinion. I don't want an opinion if I'm talking. 
Like, if I'm saying how I feel, this is how I feel. I don't need you to tell me it will be okay. Two ears, two ears, one mouth to me. for a reason. Right? Yeah, that, that classic saying, like, yeah, all my mouth. Just, 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 just listen. Like, it's the one that, well, it's one of the greatest skills, I feel. Is listening is one of the greatest skills that people have lost because it's not a competition. Like, my feelings don't need to be top trumped by your feelings of previous times or what you did. And I think this is where, like, the best people are around like i was at a point where yeah i reached out and bill who is a trained psychologist like and coach and former special soldier and all this sort of stuff he did he just listened and then he gave me said do something like this and like i use things that are cathartic which i still use now and um from which i learned from him which is more than the hours of I've done many types of different therapy. I'm not ashamed of it um, to do it. But actually, sometimes you need to find that one person who's going to listen, who's then going to say, have you thought about trying this? That's all I need. Like, And then you go and try that. And then, did that work? No. Did that work? Yes. Okay. Then which path are we going down now? So I do feel young men, is, you can say it to the cows come home, as they say, but until someone says, I need help. So I always have a rule of three. Like uh, if I I'll say, Mike, to one of the players, you okay? I'll ask him three times. And on the third time, I think I usually get the true and honest answer. But um, yeah, I'd always say to people, ask three times. Not annoying. Yeah. It's not annoying. That's, I think it's a generational thing as well with the whole openness. Because I know uh, definitely with like my parents' generation, uh, I know, you know, other people that have had like granddads and dads and stuff like that they just it was that generation where they just didn't talk about stuff and it was always just head down and get on with it whereas i think now it's becoming a bit more um realistic in the fact that you can be open about it and doesn't mean you're weak in any way and the listening element's difficult as well because i, I feel like anytime someone asks you something you always feel like you have to respond but that's not always the case you don't always feel like you have to have an answer for everything because you don't know the answer to everything as well and I think it's very difficult for people to just not say anything and also admit when they don't know something like I I don't know is a good as good an answer as giving a full set of you know a well-educated response if you know if you're not educated in that area that makes sense yeah it 100% makes sense like I I work with uh students teaching PE and they're 14 to 16 year olds like, there might be times where I listen to I say to them it's listening is a two way thing you listen to me I listen to you because you never know I learn might learn something from you like I've worked with people students who are young sports people who have said oh well what we like we do this or I've done this or I don't know like, the amount you learn from someone younger as well of their experiences by listening to them is crazy and like listening is such a listening and absorbing not just listening and throwing it away because people will listen and they're like nah gone information gone they're actually listening taking in thinking about it analyzing it and if you don't understand that's nothing wrong go and find out go and like go and find seek seek more information go and seek the details the understanding um because like we're all learning you never if you're the complete person then there's no point carrying on, is there? True. 
I like the Peterson quote as well, where he says, uh, was it, uh, don't compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Yeah. And I read that the first time, I was like, ah, yeah, that's kind of nail on the head. Because, yeah. especially with social media now, you, you get sucked into this kind of comparing yourself with people who are 19, 20, 25, whatever it is, in their 20s, and they're driving around in supercars and making millions. You're like, what, what, what have I done wrong? What have I done that meant that I cannot be that? And why am I not with you at this point? Why, why have I failed so much? But it's not that at all. It's, you're just getting a cherry-picked selection of people who either got lucky or were very good at what they do. So it's... It's hard to yeah. hard not to compare yourself, but yeah. What's yeah, your course. what's your what's your antidote to that for Well Yeah, it's very hard to compare yourself. Like I lived in a world where you get compared to selection. It's all about selection. But those people on Instagram are driving around at twenty five and yeah, okay, that's that's that fifteen seconds of your life I've seen with you you are pre set up and have you rented that car? Like let's be the real uh I don't know, I can't remember the word right now, but that the person who's just negative i'm like did you run that car did you pessimist yeah pessimist yeah that's right. <laughs> um did you rent that car did you actually earn that money like are you was that handed down money like are you actually happy are you actually enjoying your life or are you just i'm on the grind i'm on the grind i'm on the grind like so just be happy with what you got like i've got a roof over your head I can do what I like. I I enjoy. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be with the people that you want to be with. You want to just go and do what you want to do. Like social media is beautiful. There's some great people out there who have great learnings and great knowledge who share and understand amazing things. There's also people who just use it in such a negative, destructive way to to boast about life. But it's just like, yeah, social media, social media. Um, it's not sometimes true life as they say is it yeah take it for what it is take it for what it is follow who you want to follow unfollow who you want to unfollow that's your choice call the herd as they say yeah don't kill in the three alright Andrew let's wrap this up thank you oh. very much for your time really appreciate yeah. it um, definitely got some really good takeaways from this so um, I'll be looking to beast myself for 60 seconds on an assault bike and I'll look forward to, I'll be waiting for your score to be uh, hate you <laughs> your score to be sent to me in my direct message and so okay. uh, that's that's the accountability right there <laughs> I'm calling you out I'm calling you out thanks very much much appreciated no problem for sure